Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on what fixed income investors might expect to see over the course of Q4 and how they should think about positioning their portfolios accordingly, plus thoughts on rates and monetary policy. So joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Leslie, good morning. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Leslie, I know our conversation will focus in on the most recent fixed income strategist publication. As our listeners, our clients know, this is a monthly piece which you run lead on. And the title for the most recent edition is Heading Toward the Finish Line. So that alludes to the fact that we're now in Q4 and we're making our way to the end of the year, which is quickly approaching. So, Leslie, with that in mind, can you set the stage for us in terms of what you anticipate will unfold from a macro perspective? and how that might translate to fixed income returns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we think about, you know, going into the end of the year and the for- and into the fourth quarter, it's important that we just take a moment and look, what, look at what happened, you know, during the summer months when we saw interest rates fall to that 1.12% level. And there's, there was a lot of momentum for yields to decline in terms of the technical perspectives that we saw, whether it would be, you know, what was happening in terms of, um, what we call the Treasury General account, buying overseas, you know, uh, a very low uh, supply, um, you know, dynamic, and also the seasonals, which really pointed to that summertime when interest rates have a tendency to fall, and particularly fall on the back end. Well, as we head into the fourth quarter, you know, it has a tendency that seasonals actually shift, and what you and what the market has a tendency to do during the fourth quarter is you have a rise in the back end of yields, and what we call a steepening of the yield curve. Partly this is because of more supply in the treasury market. This is also partly because we are going to see greater supply in the investment-grade corporate market as you sort of have this rush to lock in, you know, these lower borrowing costs before the end of the year. But we also think, you know, what what may – why we think it also has some, you know, legs, if you will, in terms of treasury yields moving higher into the end of the year is that the market had really priced in um, a very low growth outlook over the summer. And we all recognize – and we all are aware of, as the market is as well, that the supply chain dynamic that we've seen has lasted a bit longer than what's anticipated. You know, inflows are low. We have this Delta variant that came that, that's coming to play um, that, that the, the market really wasn't expecting. And all of this has really resulted in a revision of growth downward. But the market has really already digested that revision downward. And now when we look to see what we anticipate going into the end of the year, you know, we do think interest rates will gradually rise into the end of the year to that 175, maybe 18 area. But one thing that we could say is that we anticipate volatility. And the reason why we're expecting you know, volatility is, you know, we always have this balance sheet window dressing at the end of the year. We have things that contend with, such as a debt ceiling. We obviously have some, you know, Certainty yet uncertainty regarding monetary policy and the fact that we do believe that they will announce and potentially start the uh, tapering of quantitative easing. So when we think about how returns are going to be impacted is that since we don't think interest rates are going to spike higher, you know, the, the interest rates shouldn't be a large headwind to total return. But we also don't expect spreads to really meaningfully tighten from now to the end of the year because we're at a time where we've had tremendous both 
you know, you know, fiscal and monetary accommodations, which is really tight and spreads in and fixed income. Well, Leslie, that was a very helpful macro backdrop to set the stage. And you did mention rates. I want to run with your rate outlook for a few moments. It was interesting as I was reading through the fizz, I noticed how you pointed out that the year-to-date total return for the U.S. Treasury Index is on pace for its worst year since 2013. And I know just tracking the markets, we've been seeing some movement in yields as of late. So curious, Leslie, if you can speak to what the driving factors have been there and maybe reaffirm your expectation for rates by the end of the year. Sure. I mean, you know, when you think about it, and I know this seems like such a long time ago, but when we entered the year, the 10-year interest rates, 10-year yields are only about 90, 95 basis points. And, you know, if you think we are sitting here at 160, right, I mean, we've had a 70 basis point rise in interest rates. And, you know, we don't think it's going to really rise um, materially above that level, but you do have the potential to, to rise into the end of the year. So it's not surprising when you see this type of negative total return in the Treasury market, particularly since you know, a lot of this has been driven by the back end. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the short end of the Treasury curve, like two year and such, has been relatively anchored uh, because the Fed has, you know, has such a zero lower bound and has such a, a loose monetary policy, which we know is going to shift in the very near term. But overall, the really the rise in rates has been really felt by the back end of the yield curve, like the 10 and 30 year. So when we think about, you know, the performance of total return of the Treasury index, it's not surprising given where we started the year in terms of yields. Now, when we think about where we go into the end of the year and, and given our, you know, our, you know, possibility that we end with 10-year yields around that 1.8. I mean, you know, when you start at 90 and you move to 1.8 in yields, that move higher in, in yields is obviously going to have a large impact on price in the Treasury index. And as we know as well, you know, it's not as though at this point in time, you know, the reinvestment of interest or yield or coupon has been really a tremendous driver of returns because yields are so low. So if I had to say from now to year end, I don't expect a large reversal in the Treasury index. I do expect it to probably be a little bit more negative than the two and a half we're seeing right now, but just not materially. Appreciate the clarity on your rate outlook, Leslie, and for walking us through that. I know you mentioned within the Fizz how the Fed's potential tapering will not be a meaningful driver of rising interest rates. So given last Friday's lackluster labor report, coupled with persisting inflation concerns, I know we received that CPI print just a few moments ago, what might the policy path forward for the Fed look like? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, obviously watching, let's, let's talk about the non-farm report. And I think this is a really important because the market actually looked right through that, that below expected uh, non-farm. And the reason is, is that, as I mentioned earlier, is that, you know, because they were pricing in and interest rates had gotten so low over the summer, they were really, really sort of built in a cushion um, because they were, you know, pricing in much lower growth, right, really than what the market was stating. So when you have these lower, this one, you know, lower number in terms of non-farm, the market looked right through it because it's focusing on the Fed and the fact that the Fed had stated that they were more than likely start tapering this year. Now, one of the things in terms, you know, Dan, as you pointed out, this inflation concern, and this is, this is, you know, sort of the million dollar question. And, and we've talked about this several times before is that because there's no question that the supply chain bottlenecks has lasted much longer 
than was originally anticipated. And transitory is a very popular word, and a word that the Fed invented is that you know they still believe, and we still believe that over time it will normalize. But the, you cannot you cannot ignore the fact that it's happened a bit, you know, it stayed a bit longer. And part of this has to do with the, you know what's happened with the Delta variant and that small little resurgence that we saw you know a few months back. But we do think, in terms of the Fed path going forward, that they more than likely will announce tapering this year. They potentially will start to taper, either in December or January. And I've said, I mean, it's not when they start that will drive interest rates, it's the pace. And from the last FOMC meeting, the one sort of, you know, key variable they gave the market was that, you know, they sort of hinted and indicated they wanted to be through with tapering by mid-2022. Now, when they say something like that, you just have to work backwards. And because we're assuming that they're going to do $15 billion a month, $10 billion in U.S. Treasuries, $5 billion in mortgage-backed securities, that more than likely they'll probably start, say, you know, December, January, and be done around that, say, June, June, July level every month. And that's our expectation. Now, to your point, what we really need to see and what we really need to play out is how long the sort of bottleneck and the supply chain uh, sort of factors last in terms of how it relates to inflation going forward. So, Leslie, the big question becomes from the vantage point of a client or an investor is how should I put my money to work within the asset class given the outlook that you painted for us? So with that in mind, how should investors think about putting their risk dollars to work? Which areas within the asset class might offer some protection? Uh, What are your thoughts on allocation at this time? Yeah, I mean, our biggest allocation, you know, as we are, has been to senior loans. And senior loans has been one of the top performing asset classes in uh, you know 2021, and you know as we talk about the performance of the Treasury index and the headwinds that rising interest rates have had on total return, you know the thing about the senior loans is that obviously because it's floating rate, it can it, it, it sort of you know bypasses those kinds of headwinds such as rising rates because the interest rate risk is, is actually minimal. Now when you put on top of that the fact that we've had solid fundamentals in the credit market, and we and which is one of the reasons why spreads are as tight as they are, but we also recognize that, you know, we we are not in early cycle anymore. We're well into mid-cycle, and we don't expect a large amount of spread compression from this credit, from on the credit side. It becomes a point, well, are you earning the carry? So another reason why we like senior loans is one of the higher-yielding sectors for a sector that, you know, is, you know, quote-unquote secured versus, say, the loan market like high-yield bonds. So one of the one of the things that we like in terms of those on top of the senior loans is how we've positioned ourselves throughout the year is what I've always called the barbell strategy, meaning that we've had the senior loans on the short end, which are floating rate, which have been have really met and been benefited from a lot of solid you know fundamentals, a tremendous amount of recovery from you know the March and uh, through May's of 2020, and on top of that, we have a little bit of longer um, interest rate risk in the CMBS side because CMBS had lagged things like investment grade corporates, and as we have the economy sort of reengage, as we have people back to work, and as we're seeing now you know, the pickup in foot traffic as sort of that Delta variant, you know, either stabilizes or come down, you know, for retail walls and things like that. We definitely like the CNBS side. So we've had this type of barbell strategy that that's really set the pace for our fixed income portfolio. And so far, it's worked very well in 2021. And we think it will work well until the end of the year as well. Well, Leslie Falconio, thank you very much for dropping by top of the morning to bring our listeners, our clients up to speed on your current thinking with respect 
respect to fixed income, what the fourth quarter, which of course we're in, but a lot lies ahead of us between now and year end, what that has in store and how to think about positioning fixed income portfolios accordingly. So uh, the conversation will continue. We'll look forward to having you back, Leslie, but thank you again for your time today. Thanks very much. Thanks, Leslie. And again, today we've been joined by Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication which Leslie has been making reference to during our conversation today. The most recent fixed income strategist title is heading toward the finish line. So for clients of UBS, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of this publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.